Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. All right. Hi, everyone. I have Amanda Radke here today. She's a South Dakota cattle rancher, a homeschool mom of four, motivational speaker, and author of eight children's books. She celebrates rural America, hardworking farmers, and ranchers daily on her retail site and blog. Wow, Amanda, I am so excited to have you on today because I feel like we align so well. Tell me a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. And I agree. I think we have a, a lot in common. So this should be a fun chat. But mm-hmm. um, I'm a I'm an accidental homeschooling mom. The pandemic hit and I found myself at home on our ranch, um, virtual schooling. And so we, we decided, hey, we, we can call our own shots in life. And so we decided just to go all in on homeschooling and uh, became pleasantly surprised that it aligned so well with our ranch life and just starting to incorporate our kids into everything we did and all of the life lessons that go with it. And um, I'd I'd always kind of worked in the agricultural space, speaking at at conferences and and writing these children's books and, and, you know, selling them on the road or going to schools and libraries. And so it's, it's actually been really fun to be able to bring them along for the ride to trade shows or school events or or my conferences too. So that's kind of us in a nutshell. Oh, I love that. I mean, the pandemic was such a wonderful catalyst to, you know, help people take that transition into homeschooling, but yeah, it fits our rural life so much better. And even though we started seven years ago, the pandemic just reassured us that we were making the right choice. Yeah, there was definitely good things that came out of the world shutting down, which ironically was, as we're recording this, is three years ago to the day, pretty much. But oh, um, no. yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry. It was actually tomorrow. Okay, so March 14th was the day yeah. they sent me home from the hospital with my son who was in the NICU. Oh, wow. Um, because they were like, everything is shutting down we don't care completely if he's ready to go home or not. You take your baby, you get your supplies and you go home. (laughs) Wow. That's scary. Yeah. So, I mean, he was still, he had barely been off tube feeding like 36 hours when we took him home. Oh, wow. And isn't that funny? I think everybody will remember it's kind of like a nine 11 thing where they were, (laughs) what they were doing. I I was um, speaking at a women in egg event in Louisiana and I was the luncheon speaker and I, I totally bombed because every person in the room looked, I mean, they immediately got crestfallen. And I'm thinking like, what did I say to offend these people? And I oh, get off no. stage and I, I I found out that they had all gotten a notification during my speech that their schools were shutting down. So I was seeing all these women panic that thinking, you know, it's spring semester and I got to teach my kids at home, you know, and, and by the time I got home from that trip, our schools had shut down for the spring semester too. And so we just found ourselves in this wild world of kind of forcibly having to slow down and, and reprioritize what mattered in life. And, and yeah, there of all the craziness, there's just a lot of blessings that came out of it. I think. Mm-hmm. I really, um, you know, especially kind of for us in some of this like ag space, 
it made us realize how important what we were doing was. So I think yeah, that especially like looking at looking at food too. Um, mm-hmm. you know, with with shelves being bare and people panic buying and hoarding and and prices going up and all of a sudden everybody in the world is looking, you know, where does our food come from and why is it not here and why are my brand yeah. favorite brands that I buy out of stock and and so I think that's been kind of a wonderful shift too of more people wanting to have backyard gardens or or chickens or goats or whatever they can to be a little more self-sufficient. And, and as they do that too, they're also realizing how hard it is to grow food. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, I've always had some hand in growing our own, you know, my own food, our own food. My family was a big hunting family and we had a cattle ranch in California But I mean, even taking that, we always had meat in the freezer and tomatoes in the summer. But when we did our shift, actually, it was a little bit before COVID, a couple of years before COVID, my husband um, found out he had a digestive disease and we had to change how we did everything. And so I actually, it was so eye-opening to be like, I always saw myself as a home cooker. I always saw myself as somebody who provided food for the family and what I was doing was just a drop in the hat compared to what it actually looked like to be self-sufficient. Yeah, it, it does. It's, it's basically a, a full-time gig, just producing enough food for yourself, much less, you know, the world. Um, and, and we've kind of become, you know, in this age of convenience and everything just being one click away, we've kind of taken for granted all of the essentials of life, you know, the food, fiber, and energy and, I do think the last couple of years have kind of shifted people's perspective to to really look at those essentials of life and and ultimately I think want to have more conversations with farmers and ranchers just to have those relationships and open those doors for communication and I know that's one of the biggest things I talk about on the road at these conferences is you know so much of the misconceptions that are out there about agriculture and and food production and it's really hard to to address some of those myths when they they just permeate culture but now for the first time in a really long time it feels like those doors of communication are opening up direct where where the farmer gets to tell their story thanks to social media and and gets Mm -hmm. to make those connections and bridge that gap and and bring people back closer to the farm and their and their roots because at one point in time uh, most of us were growing our food you know grandparents great grandparents etc Oh yeah. And I, I mean, I probably, it's kind of ironic that one of the best things about technology is that it's connecting us to our traditional roots, at least in yeah. this day and age right now. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a really amazing thing. You know, I worry about, you know, losing that connection at some point, not even just as our business, but as that positive piece of it. You know, as even yeah. I was, I'm writing a book on raising self-sufficient children right now, and I'm doing a lot of research on what technology means in kids' lives. And of course, we know all the bad things, and there's even more when you go deeper into our biology and what it does to our brain chemistry and stuff. But um, some of the research I'm finding also talks about how it just kind of opens kids up to information that they would have never had. And sometimes that's a positive, sometimes it's not. but I even look at myself that if I would have had some of this information, you know, 20 or even more years ago, 
some of the like boundaries I would have set and things, just having that type of information. I, I wish that was, I'm glad that that's available to our kids. Yeah. I think with anything, there's pros and cons. And I, we've definitely become a lot more careful about screening, you know, what our kids are exposed to. And, and that makes it a lot easier when you're homeschooling, of course, that, mm-hmm. you know, we can, we can unplug from certain things. Um, but on the flip side, I've found in our homeschool routine that our kids are able to go down such fun rabbit holes when they, yeah. you know, they're reading a book. A- an example today, my daughter was reading a book um, that I sell on my we- website that's about um, pioneer life. And she was like, I really want to learn more about this and especially the gold rush. And of course, there mm-hmm. was a South Dakota gold rush as well as a California gold rush. And so we pull up YouTube and we found some documentaries and now she's writing her own story about a pioneer family she's made up in her mind that oh, is you know, headed west to go find gold. So it's just you just <laughs> never know the rabbit holes that these kids will go down. And, and that's really fun as a parent too. Like, it's interesting. Let's learn about it together. Yeah. How old is she? Eight. Okay. My uh, 14-year-old daughter, she is really enjoying seeing how many people love my storybooks. Okay. So she's wanting to write a series of short stories called The Tale of Two Brothers. And it's about all the mischief her brothers that she babysits get into. (laughs) Does she want to come babysit at my house? Because our boys are six, five, and four. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you. I think um, teaching three rowdy little cowboys how to read is going to be the single hardest thing I ever do in my life. You know what? I have um, I have a three and a five-year-old right now. Both boys, uh, man, my three-year-old is, I'm not even sure he's human, but that's a whole nother. <laughs> <laughs> my, I, I'm pretty sure, like, I actually just talked about this on my last podcast interview. You know the movie Lilo and Stitch? Yep. I'm pretty sure he's part stitch. Like he just bites and growls. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, but... I don't know if it makes you feel better, but I can, I can relate. And, you know, I was one of three girls. My mom was one of five girls. My sister oh, wow. has all girls. So nobody gets it. Like no, I was <laughs> ill-prepared for all these feral boys, but it's right. an adventure. It really is. Yeah. Feral. That is the best word to describe it. But so my five-year-old, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to learn to read. He is, he doesn't want to learn his letters. He doesn't want to learn how to rhyme words. He's just not interested. And the other day we were doing math and we're doing Saxon math, which I was a, you know, I was raised on Saxon math. So my kids do Saxon math. Um, I actually switched my older kids off of it for a minute and they were like, can we go back? It's the only thing that makes sense. And so I start my five-year-old on it and he's like, this is great, but can I do more? Wow. Okay. So I got him the good and the beautiful math as well. Cause I could download it for free. And, you know, I'd already spent a lot on Saxon for the year. So Saxon is very like learning your patterns and your shapes and how to read a calendar and those types of things at the beginning, which is what we're okay. doing for kindergarten. And the one that we have for, the good and the beautiful is a little bit more like adding your numbers and like you kind of get to do that more hands-on like uh, worksheet type work. And so he has two math curriculums and dabbles with a preschool English one because he's not interested in it at all. And I'm like, you know what? We're sitting here. We're like when he does the good and the beautiful, he sits in my lap. We read it together. 
he's still learning. And I mean, if I, my negotiation is we don't do letters right now, so we can do two maths. Am I really complaining? You know? (laughs) Wow. I think I needed to talk to you just for this reason alone, because my six-year-old is the exact same way. Like he's in kindergarten technically, but He's mm-hmm. advanced to second grade math. Like we just keep completing yep. curriculum and just move. That's... We've done good in the beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. He's doing CTC math online, which we really like. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the reading stuff, it's like, he's not behind. I mean, what is behind anyway? But he's right. just not as interested, you know? And so it has made me want to pull my hair out because I'm like, oh, but your sister was at this stage at this age, you know? And, and girls it, are going to be at a different stage. Yep. And it, it does, it can steal your joy. I think when you get into that trap of where are they supposed to be or mm-hmm. what are the public school kids doing or are we behind? It's like each kid, as long as they're advancing and you can see progress, you know, that's, that's wonderful. And I, I, I guess too, I have to remind myself like simple is good at these little ages. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. a lot. And a lot of the learning is just being along for the ride of life and all the things yeah. you're doing outside or on the road or wherever you're going. I, I found my kids, I mean, they're counting change when we're selling books at places and they're shaking mm-hmm. people's hands and they're talking to adults. And it's, I remind myself, I could never buy this in a curriculum. I, I couldn't oh. recreate this anywhere, you know? Yeah. I mean, my kids, we did a cross country trip to go to a conference this last year. We, it's been a planned trip for a while to do a cross country. So we mixed it in with a conference and we went through your neck of the woods and, you know, South Dakota, but we hit all the major, you know, historical lands, you know, landmarks. We did the, all the Oregon trail stops we read while we were driving, I was reading in the footsteps of crazy horse so that we could stop at all the crazy horse places. Like my kids got so much out of that, that yeah. you wouldn't get just reading a book. Even we read crazy horse three years ago and we're re or in the footsteps of crazy horse and we're reading it again, or we read it again while we were traveling. So they could hear the descriptions while we were driving through that area. That's so amazing. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you balance, you know, I'm, you're, you're a working mom, like, like me and well, we're, we're ranching. So right now it's calving season and then I'm on the <laughs> road all the time. Like, how do you balance it all? And balance, I hate that word balance because it's impossible, but yeah. just how do you juggle everything that you're doing while homeschooling? Uh, my short answer always is I don't. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's in a funny way of like, ha I don't, my house is trashed right now. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's legitimately, I have delegated work and I have accepted that we have different seasons of life than everybody else. Yep. Um, we are, have been gearing up for conference season. I'm finishing writing a rather large book right now. I've been speaking. My podcast is blowing up. I just hired a new team. We are not doing school right now. It's not possible. Yeah, I uh, yeah. I get that. And, and um, like the mom guilt that comes with that, I'm I'm trying to learn how to set that aside and remind myself mm-hmm. that this is our unique family, and and we get to guide how yeah. we're doing things. You and know, we it's some- okay. We sometimes do more school in the summertime than we end up even doing during some of the rest of the school year. And at first my kids balked because they were 
public school kids that have transitioned, but now like my younger ones, they don't even know the difference. They weren't even born before we pulled the older kids from public school. <laughs> we we absolutely do the same thing. My speaking schedule is a lot slower in the summer and we're not calving and, mm-hmm. you know, we're dealing with the snow. So it's, yeah, summertime when it's hot, it's like, okay, yeah. the hottest part of the day. Let's go inside and get some stuff done and, and then and we'll, we'll play and be wild. We don't have air conditioner here. Um, a lot of people in North Idaho don't have ACs and the last, the last couple summers, it's been really hot. So I'll load up the kids and take them to town and we'll go to the library and, you know, do some math or do some reading together. And then we go get an ice cream and head out and go huckleberry picking until dark. And that's our summertime routine. Yep. That's that's a good idea to change locations too. Sometimes mm -hmm. just to switch things up to avoid the temptation of all the other things going on at home that (laughs) you can get distracted by or the kids, you know? And for us, huckleberry picking, it's a long drive out to where we go. So I, you know, I say long drive, about an hour drive in the woods, you know, which is maybe five miles. (laughs) And um, we will, I, I read to them out of different, you know, textbooks that I'm reading at the time, like something that I find, I think they'd find interesting we get out there, we bring a, you know, book on foraging or herbology. And not only are we picking huckleberries, we're learning about like, you know, the different wildflowers that grow that are edible or medicinal. And even though I'm not a big on, I'm, I'm not a big herbalist. Like the most I do is I use essential oils when I'm making like lip balm or something, you know, I I douse my kids in lavender at least once a day. (laughs) And, um, but just to have that extra learning opportunity. Yep. We've done that too. Just, I mean, right in our backyard, the cattle are grazing in the summer months and Mm -hmm. I took the kids out and this is native grassland. So it's never been touched by a plow and hopefully Mm. never will. And, and so I, you know, we've been teaching the kids about there's just hundreds, if not thousands of varieties of grasses and wildflowers and different things growing Mm -hmm. out in the pasture. And so we got a book to ID plants and the kids picked plants and then we put them on big cardboards and they would label everything and look them up in the book and man mm-hmm. I was learning so much too I was like this is, you know <laughs> you just look out there and you're like I don't know it's green grass whatever but if you really yep. start digging in it's like wow there's so much just right right in our backyard that you just take for granted if you look at it every day yeah well we live right on the edge of like a valley And we had a forester come out to get a forestry report for a tax thing on our land. And there's kind of like an edge where there used to be the railroads, but they took the railroad out. And he was, we thought that that this whole edge was just for the railroad. And turns out it was actually before they started damming the river, the river would come all the way up to the edge of where our property is. And we're right on the Canadian border and there's a port by our house which used to be the main Idaho port and uh, this, the, where the water would come up, that was where like the Indians actually used to come and like work by the edge of the river. And I mean, just all sorts of history. So the kids got out there and started, you know, looking around, they found arrowheads on our property. Then they got out there with a uh, metal detector and found all the parts to an old wagon buried in our pasture. That is so cool. I yeah, they like, freaked out. Oh, they were so excited because when they found one piece of it and they actually had a couple of buddies over. So it was like, you know, five teenage boys out there. And they were so excited because they found one piece and they were able to find the whole rest of it 
by figuring out the shape of the wagon. Wow. It was like, it literally, like it broke down right there. And I mean, they even found, it was just the metal parts left at this point, but they could see where the wood had like disintegrated, like in between and stuff. I mean, they were so beyond excited. Wow. Again, you can't buy it in a curriculum. <laughs> you can't, no. And it gave opportunities and, and, for them to come in and us to talk about the history of this area and stuff. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's my goal with my kids is just to foster a curiosity and uh, an ability to be lifelong learners. Because even mm-hmm. though I've been out of school for a bajillion years, I'm still learning. And I, I want them to have that joy of learning and just that natural curiosity to explore new topics and research and, and read yeah. on things. I think that's been the beauty of it all, really. Mm-hmm. Another one is my husband's a stay-at-home dad, um, which as a rancher, I mean, that's a, you know, we're ranchers too, not as big as you guys, I'm sure. Uh, we have a pig farm, um, but in the West, we're all ranchers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. I grew up on a ranch, so it, doesn't, it feels weird to me to call it a farm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so my husband, he's a disabled vet, and so he's home with our kids, and he's able to run our farm and help run the house when I can't. Sure. And then I have no shame in hiring a housekeeper once in a while. Oh yeah. I call it's like a <laughs> gift. It's like a gift to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The cleaning, if I, if I could definitely find someone that could come help me out do that, I would happily give up <laughs> that you job. Know, I used to hire, um, I had a teenage girl that came in, she was 18 and that was like her job in high school and she went off to college. So that sucked. I lost her, but she did a great job. I mean, she'd come in, I'd have her come in for four hours once a week and she would, her first job would be to clean my kitchen spotless, like take a couple hours and just get my kitchen back the way it needs to be each week. Like her first time coming was like, I mean, it took her the whole for four hours. I think she was actually here for closer to six. Um, and she got it all clean. And then the next week she'd come back and spend two hours cleaning the kitchen and then two hours, either cleaning something else or organizing something else. So nice. And yeah, I mean, she spent two hours one time. She took everything out of my pantry and like cleaned all my shelves and put everything back in like by category. Um, but she was also a teenager. So like I had people over, we had our swine weigh-ins for fair and we were having people over for a barbecue afterwards. And so she was at the house cleaning while we were at weigh-ins and we got home and I walk over to the refrigerator to offer my guests a drink. And I opened the door and she'd swept, like when she swept a bunch of trash had gone over, gone under the lip of the refrigerator. And so I opened the refrigerator door and there's like empty yogurt cups and stuff. And I'm like, oh no, you know, so I just, I made a joke out of it. I'm like, how can you tell when your housekeeper is a teenager? They clean like a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and isn't that the thing though? Everything for a season, I feel. And as moms, I think it's really hard for us to admit, like you can't do it all. And you should like, it's, it's hard. It's, exhausting to try to do it all and so it's okay to be vulnerable and ask for help too to fill in the gaps during certain seasons where you're busier you have more going on um whether you're on a farm or a ranch or or whatever you're doing in life Mm -hmm. you know as my kids get older which I have teens and younger ones 
my teens, I didn't give them chores. I gave them management positions. Okay. So, I mean, they definitely have the chores of, you know, it's, I call it everybody helps. So like, you don't get paid for cleaning the kitchen. You have a kitchen night, you know, three nights a week. And that's your night because you live in this house too. Sure. Yep. But as far as like the farm or other things in our life, you know, my daughter is the chicken manager. We kind of joke, but I mean, she, she lets me know (laughs) how many hens we need to order every spring, or she lets me know when we need to buy more eggs to incubate or, and then she handles the brooder and the incubator. She even wrote up like kind of like a set of SOPs for running the incubator and stuff so that when her and I travel, my husband has everything there in place. And then she used that set of SOPs to do her 4-H presentation last year. So awesome. And she's yeah, like learning her, and everything. Yeah, it gave her that ownership where she was like, this is not only my job, I need to make my job, you know, the I need to make it better. Yeah, that's so um, great. Her twin brother, he's in charge of our dairy cows. And he raises heifers for 4-H and that's, he breaks dairy heifers and sells them. And that's his, I mean, there's more to it. Like he handles the sanitation. He handles the, you know, making sure the milk gets down and strained and in the fridge. It's not his chore. It's his management position. And Mm -hmm. then with the management positions on the farm, they get more of a financial benefit from that. It's not necessarily they get paid a certain amount every week, but you know, I front them their 4-H animals every year. Sure. Um, That's that's a really great way to to phrase things. I think as I, now that I'm, my kids are young, so it's, we're just kind of on mm -hmm. the beginning of that. You know, we have that conversation with them a lot about like, Oh mom, why do I have to clean? It's like, well, you're part of a family and this is our home Mm -hmm. and it takes us all to run it, you know? And uh, we've gotten ducks during the pandemic. We we did do goats for a period of time, but it <laughs> the kids were so little and the goats were like running them over. So uh, yeah, everybody has to go through them. their goat phase to get it out of their system. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Mine was literally like, well, we started fostering during the pandemic too and actually uh-huh. adopted a little boy um, in 2021 uh-huh. out of foster care. But my, my thought was we need these therapy goats, you know, these kids can't go and pet the cows. So we need, we need little animals, you know, right. so I put a Facebook <laughs> post out and said, whoever can give me goats today, like I will buy them today. Like, I think I needed the goats more than the kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were so cute until they weren't. <laughs> right. Well, I really want and a I therapy alpaca right now and my husband won't go for it. So <laughs> yeah, he's like, you don't I, need I Oh, go ahead. Oh, he goes, you don't need an alpaca. He goes, but if you want an alpaca, you can get one. If you do all of the care for it. I'm like, okay, dad. (laughs) And I was like, that's fine. I was like, as soon as you finish that pasture. And he's like, no, you're doing all the care. So if you want the alpaca, you finish the pasture. (laughs) It's like, oh no, that's not how this works. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I get that way too. There's like a exotic livestock auction here in town every spring and they bring the coolest stuff and I'm like oh man I I didn't know I needed that animal but now that I see it I definitely need that zebra (laughs) (laughs) I'm like they're considered livestock guardian animals and he's like you really need you know a livestock you need an alpaca to protect our pigs like those pigs can handle themselves (laughs) right right 
Well, my, my whole thought too is, you know, our kids are so blessed to live this way. And my thought is, how do I bring that to other kids? And I don't know about you, but that, I mean, that's kind of what started me writing children's books is Mm -hmm. I just saw that everything about agriculture and everything about farming and ranching was just either such a characterized version, you know, cartoony where the animals walked and talked and the the farmer was like the bad guy, or it was just Mm -hmm. so far off or laced with agenda. And it just, there was a movie Barnyard that had come out about the time I started writing the books. And I mean, the main character was a cow that was a boy that had an udder. And I just, I get it. Oh, that's weird. So much. It was very weird. <laughs> and I was just like, this is not right. And and so that's, that's kind of what started me writing these books. And I realized, man, I'll probably be writing books about agriculture till I'm an 80 year old lady, because I mean, there's just so many stories to tell and kids are just so far removed from agriculture and where their food comes from that it's, it's, it's just a shame. And, and so it is, it is a passion of mine to get into the classroom and get these books in front of kids just just to give them an opportunity to, hey, meet a, meet a rancher in real life and ask mm-hmm. some questions and, and hopefully check out these books over and over again, um, you know, for, from each class or each kid and, and reach their parents or grandparents or whoever's reading the stories to them, too. It's uh, There's a lot of work to be done out there, I think. Oh, I agree. That was kind of, you know, when I originally started writing my curriculum, of course it was to reach kids, but it was my first part of it was I'm putting in all the work to create this curriculum for my kids. Why don't I start organizing that into something that's usable for someone else? And then as I started writing it and really meeting the people that wanted to teach their kids this, I realized, and of course it was all mid pandemic when I started writing it. And I realized that our generation and younger have zero clue where our food comes from and that full story of how it's all interconnected. Right. And some of that interconnectivity is, you know, we're all connected to nature, but some of it is that interconnectivity of, you know, systems and business and where these products come from, or, you know, people start far. I, you know, I I follow so many of these homestead pages because that's where, you know, my hat lies at the moment. I say mm-hmm. at the moment, just, you know, cause I was such a, I was a hardcore rancher and agriculturalist. And now I've moved more into that foodie homestead space, just in some realizations of where we've kind of gone wrong in a lot of our thing. Not that I'm anti-agriculture at this point, by any means, I'm more, I want to kind of open people's eyes to all of it. Right, right. That was kind of where this curriculum has gone is, like I said, so many people are starting farms right now. And that's a wonderful, beautiful thing that please more people need to. But they don't even know where to start. They don't they don't know where to buy things. I mean, even it sounds so little, but you know, I talk to people and they're like, well, I want to start, you know, growing my own vegetables. And I, you know, I see online that you can, you know, that every homesteader is all trying to teach you how to be frugal and look, you can start your plants in little paper cups. And it's like, great, mm-hmm. you can start your plants in little paper cups. But then when, if you decide to make a homestead business out of it and you want to sell these plants, it, 
it's not very professional to be selling them in little paper cups. Right. And the problem that these people have is they go down to like, you know, Walmart or Home Depot and want to buy pots for their plants and they're a dollar fifty a piece. Yep. Like that doesn't make sense. Where mm-hmm. I can go to a greenhouse supplier and buy, I just bought 800 pots for 60 bucks. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, that's just one piece of it. But for somebody who has worked in agriculture or any type of business, really, and then apply that to this type of setting, knowing that even these things are out there is a message that I'm trying to help more people with. Yeah. You know, growing your own food and, and yeah, making transitioning it into a business, the learning curve is, is huge and, and nature is very unforgiving too. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, and it can be pretty. pretty And even growing your, even growing your own food, you have to look at that as a business because it doesn't make sense to grow all your own food if it costs you twice as much as it would to go to the grocery store. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that is the, the tricky balance. I think that you have to navigate and, and weigh out. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, my sister during the pandemic started a cut flower business and vegetable fruit and vegetable garden. And she's amazing at it. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, I'll have a, I'll have a small one then too, you know, and I'm terrible at it. And I'm <laughs> like, how much money I put into this and how very few green beans or whatever we got, like, our family's going to starve to death, you know? So we, <laughs> I, I think moral of the story is I learned I'm really, my family's really good at raising beef and we have ducks, so we have eggs. So we're in charge of the protein and I have delegated her to the fruits and vegetables. And I think well, in you, all of this- like You barter and you swap. Yep, community is so important yes. that you can't you can't be good at everything. It's just impossible. And you can. I mean, you can try, but if you can collaborate with people, that is that is a true gift. You know, my husband does mechanics for the couple of local farms, and we trade for uh, grain and hay. That's great. We actually he does all <laughs> the mechanics for the neighbors, and that covers all of our hay for the year. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like that—that's like unheard of that people do business that way anymore. Yeah, and it's—I mean, at least where we live, that's totally normal. I mean, that's just—I mean, we actually are well pump broke, and we called the well guy, and he came out and he looked at it, gave us a quote, and we said, "Okay, would you take um, a butchered hog for eight hundred of that?" And he's like, "Uh, yeah. When can it be ready?" Wow. He didn't even skip a beat like he expected the barter first, you know? (laughs) I think the world is headed in that direction in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And if if it's not where you're at, it can be. It's just about building your network of people and and valuing the skills or the knowledge or the assets that they bring to the table. I've got a friend that's really knowledgeable in health and wellness. And man, if my kids get sick, I'm, I'm calling her and asking her for advice. And pretty soon she's sending me at home remedies to try. And it's, <laughs> it's like, but then, you know, if she needs beef brought to town, I can do that for her, you know, and it's, it's just, yeah, I think we're get, you know, they say it takes a village to raise kids anymore. And I think our society and how busy it's gotten and fast paced, we've lost the village. And mm-hmm. I think I think we're getting back to that, or there should be an effort to get back to that. Or, and I think it's just an understanding that the village is your peers and not your government. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Government is not coming to save you. It's in fact, <laughs> going to make life harder for you. But yes. Uh, <laughs> so I don't yes, want speaking my language. Yeah. Oh, um, so I feel like we're brought a lot to the table today. And I, uh, unfortunately, with my schedule, I'm really tight today. So I want to make sure that you have plenty of an opportunity to talk about your platform and your products. Sure. No, I appreciate it. I've really enjoyed the conversation more than you possibly could know, even. <laughs> I, it's been a tough week of homeschooling, to say the least. So you've, you've energized me, but that's uh, good. Yeah, and I can I, understand that because I was so maxed out last night. I called my old business coach, who's a friend of mine too. And I was like, I just need to talk about some, anything like, so just talk to me, tell me what you're doing with your business or something. Like I need, I just need a minute, <laughs> yes. you know? Yep. Yep. Having a support system is really valuable, especially if you're going to go against the grain and do uh, things counter to the culture. (laughs) Yes. But uh, yeah, so I, um, my, my retail business kind of started during the pandemic too. I, uh, I had been speaking all over the country and of course the world shut down. And so I lost a year's worth of work and, and had to kind of. So I want to stop you for just one minute. What do you speak on? Uh, so I, I speak at agricultural conferences. It's either we're talking about, you know, family succession planning, um, business, um, uh, consumer trends, you know, what are people wanting to buy, um, regulatory burdens that are coming down, you know, the pipe from Washington, D.C. that might make it harder for landowners or for livestock producers, um, basically just current topics and trends with um, encouragement and kind of motivation for people to, to keep up mm, the good like fight, that. even when it's, yeah, it, it's a hard life sometimes. So people need to pick me up once in a while. So I'm kind of yeah. a little cheerleader in that way, but oh, um, so yeah, I, I lost a year's worth of work and I had some children's books and I just started kind of expanding into, um, farm toys and clothing and jewelry. And it kind of exploded from there and it keeps me really busy, but um, yeah, I, I write a blog every week, Mondays. Um, that's just a kind of a word of encouragement. So folks can check it out at amandaradkey.com. And, and then my books, I'm, I'm really proud of them. They, there's eight different titles, and uh, most of them are about livestock or the cattle industry. But there's different themes from soil health to careers in agriculture to the last one that just came out was just a simple one about baking pizza at grandma's house and the ingredients Aww. you need and that kind of thing. And I actually, and so, yeah, one of I, my I, children's books is weekend at Grammy's and it's all about why we preserve food. Oh, well, that's, <laughs> I mean, isn't that the wonderful thing when you can learn from multiple generations? I mean, that's mm-hmm. such a gift in itself that not everyone has. So yeah, everyone deserves a grandma that can teach them, teach them life skills, but uh, we're losing a lot of those life skills. I think with each mm-hmm. passing generation that hopefully I think even at this to. point, my mom knew nothing about this type of preserving or wasn't interested in this type of preserving. So my kids don't have that from that grandparent. And my mother-in-law isn't interested in it either. Like they were at that age where everything was moving to that convenience window. Yep. Oh, same, same here. And my, my grandma passed away last year and there's just a million questions I wish I could ask her now that's Mm -hmm. like, Hey grandma, I really never did can, you know, and now I'm trying to figure it out. And I mean, for her, she would laugh, like, this is just basic. Like, how do you not know how to do this stuff? But it, it just goes to show you, you can learn new things. And, and there, 
the the older generations weren't dumb. You know, they they were wise to prepare and have things on hand and to grow their own. And, and yeah, it takes more time, but it's, it feels good. And it's something you can do together as a family and it's, mm-hmm. it's great food. And, and there's just so much in it. That's wonderful. But, um, but yeah, so that's, that's what I do on my, my website, I guess. And um, I would invite people to check it out or let me know if they, if they read the books to their kids, I would love feedback and yeah, um, yeah we'll, we'll be working on book number nine this year. So stay tuned oh. for updates there as well. Well, and I, for my listeners, the reason I reached out to Amanda is because I was, I saw her children's books and I'm so excited that there's someone else kind of in that same mind space of me of teaching agriculture to kids in a real way. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to bring her on because, you know, for us, we're kind of pioneers in this field and trying to meet the demands of hungry learners. I would rather try to support other creators than try to meet that demand all by myself. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to coordinate and get to an event sometime where we can have booths side by side and talk shop. And <laughs> That would be awesome. <laughs> and maybe I, one day. One of your books that really excited me was the one about beef as a protein. Yeah. Oh, beef strong? Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it seems like the whole world's going plant-based, which I, I don't, I don't argue with people that want to eat different than me, but I I do want to empower people to know that there's, you know, such rich nutrition that comes from animal proteins um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, every serving of beef has zinc, iron, and protein and the B vitamins and essential saturated fats. And, and man, there's just so much good nutrition and, and that comes from beef. It's, I, I just, it makes me sad that people are being told that they should be scared of it and, to limit it in their diets when just my own family has experienced such such health and wellness from <laughs> making that the center of our diets. And so Beef Strong talks about sports nutrition and encouraging athletes, you know, kids that like sports to to put beef at the center of their plate and fuel their active mm-hmm. lifestyle. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, I one of my stances since college has been if, you know, if you want to be vegetarian or vegan for your own reasons, your own health reasons, your own diet choices. That's great. I just hope that you're not doing it because you were miseducated on something. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I had a, I moved to DC um, for an internship right out of high school. And my roommate was a, a vegan animal rights activist, which was very educational for me, but um, she had seen a YouTube video of animal abuse. And she was just convinced that that's how we all were in agriculture, even though I was the only farmer she had ever met in her life. And so it was, I mean, it was a very long summer. I mean, because she had very deeply set beliefs, but (laughs) I I am happy to say by the end of the summer, she was eating steak with me. So (laughs) that's pretty exciting. And that never happens, but, (laughs) but, you know, once she had a chance to meet someone in agriculture and have her, her questions, you know, honestly answered, it was like, she couldn't deny um, the truth, even though the propaganda is really great out there. And it, it's just a shame mm-hmm. that there's like these fear tactics out there designed to get people to eliminate an entire food from their diets. Wow. And, and so that's kind of my goal, too, is to kind of counteract some of that stuff. And it's coming from the environmental extremists that are 
blaming climate change on cow farts, you know, that that, right. that can be debunked. And, you know, the, the animal welfare piece that the animal rights activists are pushing and and then the diet piece that, I mean, frankly, the, the government's dietary guidelines are dead set against animal proteins yeah. and fats in the diet. And so it's, it's coming from every angle. And I've, I've kind of found if everyone's saying one thing, it's probably the exact opposite. So you, you can go in the other, run, go in the other direction. <laughs> yep, live your life. <laughs> yeah. I actually did a video recently because my husband had to have surgery down in the Bay Area in California at a VA clinic. Just you got to love VA. They only let you have surgery where they want to let you have surgery. Sure. And um, so we had to spend 10 days in Palo Alto, which is just like, even though we're from Northern California, which I really, I always like to clarify. I mean, I don't care if my listeners get tired of hearing it. Like we are nor we were normal in Northern California, but <laughs> it's not the California everybody hears about. In fact, I lived in a community that's more rural than my very rural community in North Idaho. So, um, but yeah, we had to spend a week, two weeks in Palo Alto, which is just miserable. It's like a nightmare for me. And the lady who runs the like VA, it's like the same as Ronald McDonald house, but it's for, it's called Fisher house and it's for like uh, spouses of veterans. Okay. And, you know, we were telling her that we were farmers and she's like, oh, that, I mean, that's nice. She's like, you know, I'm not a vegetarian or anything, but I just feel so bad for the way animals are treated on farms. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, I've grown up in agriculture my entire life and I honestly don't, I can't think of a single situation where animals were necessarily treated poorly. And if they were the community, uh, you know, the ag community at large was not okay with it. Right. Exactly. And so she was like, really? Like, and I was like, in fact, yeah, I, in my books, I teach kids on, you know, respect for the animals that are providing for you. Yeah. And I mean, she like, like mind blown for her. She had no clue that farmers felt this way about their animals. Yeah. That's sad, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And so actually a few days later, I was having lunch in the like dining area and she came in and she's like, I've been thinking about what you said. And she goes, I've always planned on when I retired running a, uh, like a refuge for retired dairy cows so that they don't just get butchered. (laughs) Oh my. Okay. And I was like, okay, (laughs) well, if that's something that you are passionate about, I think that's great. Um, she's like, but what I realized is that I have no clue how to take care of large livestock. And I haven't wanted to ask a single farmer because I thought that's who I was protecting these animals from. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, let's sit, let's have a conversation. And I went through, you know, if you're, you know, rescuing animals, they might be coming from a situation that have, um, you know, unsanitary conditions and they might need to, you might need to go through that barrage of worming and vaccines and, you know, things that people are, don't believe necessarily are inherently good. But I mean, if you're working with animals that aren't going into the food chain and they have potential to be sick coming from poor situations, you need to make sure that you have a really good working relationship with your vet. And, you know, I kind of just went through all those steps with her and she ended up buying my book through it, but that wasn't my goal. My goal was I wanted her to feel 
like she had the actionable steps that she needed to take to be able to fulfill her dream. Sure, sure. But and, I in, was, the, and the process she probably is going to learn how much she doesn't know and how much you know it it takes and yeah right. just uh, having someone in her corner that could tell her the truth is right. like <laughs> trust me valuable. trust me you don't want to run a rescue for all the dairy cows in California you don't have enough room on your land. no no that would be quite the task <laughs> but if you want to have a rescue where you know, maybe there's a couple of cows that somebody's farm is shutting down and they don't want to see them go to butcher or something. That would be, a, that's wonderful that you would be willing to take them, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> right. And at the same token, it's like, I, I'm, I'm happy to know that those dairy cows, you know, when they're butchered, they can go into the beef system as hamburger mm-hmm. and nourish families. And it, it's not, that circle of life is really hard for people to understand. And I just, I appreciate people's empathy you know and and willingness to care outside of their own you know their own worlds or their own bubble but at the same time I just think man there's so many people that are hungry in this world that it's it's like this cow is providing a service and enriching Mm -hmm. human life and and people ultimately as a as a rancher I care about people even more than I care about the cows I mean I love Mm -hmm. cattle Uh, that's my passion but but providing for people is just like the greatest honor on earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand that completely. So we are just, we're actually completely out of time, but <laughs> I like to ask all of my guests, what does keep growing mean to them? Keep growing. I guess it would, I'd probably go back to our homeschool philosophy of teaching kids to be continual learners, to be hungry, to gain more knowledge and to continue growing in themselves and in their character and their skills. And that applies for adults too. You know, if we're, we're like plants that we need water and sunshine and, and care and, and we can really bloom even under hard circumstances. If, if we have that continual growth mindset, Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's where I landed. The theme of my podcast is grow your own food and grow as a person. I love it. So, um, so thank you so much for coming on today. And I, like I said, I wish we could chat longer. We'll definitely have to come up with some ideas soon. Uh, yes. Well, th- thanks for having me. And I hope we can collaborate down the road or um, yeah, let's do this again sometime. For sure. Well, thank you. And thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education. And I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at The Homestead Education and Instagram at homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? Please email me at hello at the homesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing!